Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch, this is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Erica Thompson, Features Reporter at the Columbus Dispatch, and I recently spoke to Columbus attorney J.J. Kramer, who also happens to be the son of Barry Kramer, who founded the Detroit rock magazine Cream, which was in operation from 1969 to 1989. J.J. is a producer of the new documentary, Cream, America's Only Rock and Roll Magazine, which is now playing in virtual cinemas. The documentary features interviews with rock stars like Alice Cooper and Joan Jett and provides some insight into legendary staff writers and editors like Dave Marsh and Lester Banks. Here's our interview. Hey! Hey there! So, not to age you, uh, but you were born in the late 70s, so I'm curious, how much of anything do you actually remember from that time? (laughs) Yeah, from from the from that, you know, that, that early era of cream, um, I don't remember much. Um, what I do remember is this is probably when I was like eight years old or so. I remember being at some of the, the cream, the infamous cream holiday parties at the, at the cream offices. And I was just like mesmerized by all the stuff that was going on. And there were like local celebrities that came in, you know, the, all the, the, and this would have been in the in the mid '80s, early '80s. You know, some of the Detroit Pistons would come to the party, and you'd have like the local um, local uh, talent, like you know Bob Seger would pop in, or Mitch Ryder would pop in. And I also remember my mom sending me home early with the babysitter, um, and that's probably when the party really started. <laughs> awesome. So as I understand it, you know, you've been working on this for years. Um, so can you talk to me about like the inspiration behind this and then everything like you went through to raise money and get this thing off the ground? It has been four years and a lifetime in the making. That's that's for sure. And the uh, the sort of the there, there's two parts to this. You know, the, the, the first part is what got us to the starting line to make the documentary. And that, that process started about 20 years ago when I decided I was going to go on a mission to reacquire the rights to cream as a brand. So after my father died in publication was eventually suspended, the magazine was actually sold. So it left my family and it changed hands a few times after that. And long story short, the, the rights were kind of um, fragmented. So certain people were claiming certain rights to parts of the cream intellectual property portfolio, trademarks here, copyrights there. It was kind of a mess. And so this is where it, it was kind of serendipitous that um, I'm an IP attorney 
because yeah. my my skill set really started to come in handy. So I started sort of chipping away and finding ways to file for new trademarks or negotiate with people who had rights and bring them into the fold. There was some litigation involved. Um, it was a it was a pretty intense process and it had a lot of highs and a lot of lows and finally fell over the finish line with getting all of the rights aggregated and together under uh, uh, under my company, my new you know company that I formed to hold these rights in 2016. So it was like right when we got those rights packaged is when I was approached by Scott Crawford, the director, to discuss this documentary. And Scott and I were connected through Jan Uhelski, who's a producer on the film and one of the original Creamsters. And she thought that we would kind of vibe well together on the vision he wanted to, to tell um, or the story he wanted to tell. Um, and, and she was spot on, like the, what Scott was describing to me w- was exactly how I envisioned um, a cream documentary playing out. And it was like we were simpatico right out of the gate. Um, so we decided that the best way to fund this documentary, or at least to get out of the gate, was to do a Kickstarter. So we had set a pretty ambitious goal of $100,000 um, to get us started. And, you know, long story short, we ended up uh, uh, overfunding. We, we fun, you know, overfunded uh, by 117%. Um, so I should say we overfunded by 17%. So we raised 117% of our goal. Um, and that was an incredible um, milestone for us and, and a huge morale boost like that people wanted to hear this story and see this story so yeah i mean and you've got some pretty heavy hitters in here alice cooper cameron crow joan jett was it hard to round everyone up or was everyone so passionate about cream that they kind of came on <laughs> the, the the interest and participation that we got was uh incredible um and for the most part um, everybody was very willing to participate. They had an affinity for the magazine. They had great memories of it. Um, some of the challenges were just around scheduling. When you do, you know, when you're dealing with some of these heavy hitters, you, you have to schedule around, you know, this was, you know, pre-COVID when they're touring and doing things like that. Um, so, you know, there were some that we had to chase for over a year to actually find a time when our paths could cross. Um, and I think that you know the really special thing to me was some artists even approached us saying, "Hey, I grew up with Cream. I want to share this story." Like Chad Smith is a great example. Um, he grew up in suburban Detroit, and he tells this great story in the film about how he rode his Schwinn yeah. ten-speed to the, to Cream's offices, and like all of a sudden Alice Cooper walks out the front door um, and he's just like, it's a life changing experience for him. So that was really cool that, that we had, you know, artists reaching out to us saying this magazine had a profound impact on me and I want to share my story. Um, And that's when we really started to to know that we, we had something here that, that I think would resonate. So getting into the meat of the documentary, it does a great job in capturing like the culture and the identity of cream, like irreverent, not sucking up to celebrities, sometimes offensive, like band of misfits. Can you talk, can you talk a little bit about that identity? 
Yeah, I mean that was the 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 cream ethos, right? It was a bite that hand, bite the hand that feeds, kill your idols sort of approach to things. And I think a lot of it had to do with the the Detroit sensibility, um, not being on the coast, not being in New York, not being in LA. Um, people in that scene took you know took their music seriously and um, they didn't suffer fools lightly either. And so it was sort of like where other magazines were putting artists on pedestals, Cream was ripping them off their pedestals. Um, and that's what I think really earned it its credibility um, with the artists and um, with, with, the, with the readers. Um, you know, they were very snarky uh, and very irreverent, but there was, you know, there was legit music criticism going on at the magazine. So they did it with a wink and a smile, but the, you know, what you were reading was real and raw and honest. Um, and I think that that's what created this really um, special community. You know, what was cool is the amount of archival footage. Um, you know, do you think that, you know, your dad and the staff had the foresight to record these things or was, was it just that everyone was kind of recording these things back then? We got really lucky because a good chunk of our archival footage was captured by a local PBS station that sent a crew down um, to cover, you know, life at the cream offices. And so that included some of the footage you see, like where you're touring the office and you see all the craziness going on. And they also had a little um, round table discussion with like Dave Marsh, Lester Bangs, my mom, my dad, and a couple other people. And I think they, they cut it up into like maybe a two part uh, show that they aired on the, the local PBS station. So we reached out to them um, when we started filming because I had had a copy of it for a long time, uh, got their permission to um, use that in the film. And that was, that was like, a, a gold mine for us, right? To be able to, yeah. you know, it, I, it's really hard when you're telling a story about like a static thing about a magazine um, without moving visual images aside from just, you know, pictures to help describe it. And so, you know, we could have talked forever about how, how um, decrepit and crazy the cream offices were, but it's much easier to just show you exactly what was going on there. So that was huge. And then, um, I know this is going to sound so cliche, but I was in my mom's basement uh, in in Commerce, Michigan, just looking through old boxes, and I found this like box of unmarked videotapes, and it, it, this wasn't even like old school VHS or beta tapes. It was like this huge rectangle format. I don't even know what the format is called, but I. Mm guarantee you, you would be, it would be, you'd be hard pressed to find a machine that can actually play it today. So I just took them to some store, a video store in Westerville and like dumped them on the table. I'm like, can you show me what's on here? And they digitized them for me. And lo and behold, on those tapes were two things. One uh, additional footage from the cream offices that you see in the film. It's like this never before seen footage of Lester bangs, like, putting a paper bag over his head and just like acting silly and, and uh, you know, dancing around to some music. And then, so we had that, which was incredible. And then 
there was another tape that had footage of like me and my dad that I'd never seen. It's like him, him bouncing me as, as a baby. Um, and I was like, what? Like, this is nuts. So, you know, I was very grateful, like that, you know, I, I, I had a reason to go looking in these boxes, you know, had it not been for the documentary, I never would have discovered that. So yeah. we got very lucky there. Can you talk about the um, importance of Cream having women writers and women in other positions on staff and how monumental that was at the time? Yeah, I think you know, at, at the time, um, you know, Cream was um, unique in that respect. Uh, they had a lot of female uh, writers, photographers, editors, um, in, you know, in, in, in very important roles when that was certainly not commonplace. Um, and, you know, I think we learned in the film that, you know, we, we, we acknowledge that, you know, cream was at times very offensive and intentionally so at times and um, it was snarky and sometimes sexist. And what we learned in the film is like a lot of those snarky sexist captions were actually written by Cream's female uh, editorial staff. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was really happy with that, that being one of the themes that came to light in the film was like how important folks like Jan Uhelski and Susan Whitehall and my mom um, were to making that machine go. Um, and I'm really happy to see those folks get their, you know, the acknowledgement they've long deserved. You know, I want to talk about your father a little bit. Um, what I appreciated was that, I mean, he was a complicated person and that you didn't shy away from that in the film mm -hmm. because you certainly could have. And I was just wondering, just like as a filmmaker, how did you navigate that? Like, how much should I say about like my dad's flaws and, you know, so I'm just kind of curious about that process. Yeah, we, um, right at the beginning, me, Scott, our director, Scott Crawford and Jan had a, had, had a discussion about what story we wanted to tell. Um, was it going to be the, you know, the, the revisionist rainbows and unicorns <laughs> version of the story? Or was it going to be the warts and all story? Um, and that includes my dad, right? So, and we, we decided um, it was, it, it had to be the latter. It had to be the good, the bad, the ugly, and the crazy. And I said, guys, um, I, you know, and, and they asked me because they were being protective of me. Um, I said, I'm going to put on my big boy pants. Like this is, this is what I signed up for. Um, I always, you know, I always um, have joked with, you know, with my wife and my mom that I probably should have been like in some kind of uh, therapy to deal with my, the trauma of my father dying at an early age. And I never was. This has been my therapy, this process of sitting in and hearing these things. And, you know, not, I'll never get to quote unquote, know my dad, but I know of him now yeah. um, in a way that I, I never did. And it's like, it helped me understand him as a complete person. Um, his, his unique genius, his, 
you know, he was, he, I think he was like this visionary, but like lots of visionaries, they, they have a real dark side. And, um, you know, he was like this incredibly passionate person um, and, you know, had these incredibly volatile, explosive relationships with people, but um, also a lot of like love between those people. And then, you know, to see, you know, how he got sick at the end, that was obviously, you know, pretty difficult to deal with, but it gave me a much fuller picture of, you know, sort of the how and why um, the circumstances that may have contributed to that one way or another. I think uh, my final question for you is, um, you know, I thought it was so cool that your dad made you a chairman at four years old. <laughs> so talk to me about the responsibility you felt or feel to carry on this legacy or maintain this legacy. Yeah, that was, um, that was really cool to talk about at show and tell when I was young. <laughs> JJ, what'd you bring in today? I brought in my own rock and roll magazine. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really important to me. Um, that was part of why I set out on, on this mission like 20 years ago to, to get this back into the, into the family. I know that legacy was important um, to my father. Um, my mom's told me as much that like, um, when he found out that he was having a, a you know, a, a son that was going to carry on the Kramer name that was like really important to him. Um, I'm not so concerned with the Kramer name as much as like having something to share, um, with, with, you know, my son and my daughter. Um, I would love for it in some way to be there for them, um, to, you know, experience in one way or another, um, when they get older. Um, you know, at, at minimum, they're going to have this, they're going to have the film, um, which is for me, you know, a, a, a hopefully will be a huge gift to them to know more about their grandparents. Um, you know, so, so that for me was an important first step, but I would, you know, there, there's something about, um, you know, uh, this, this legacy, this story that I for, will forever feel connected to. There were times over the 20 year journey to put this back together where I was just like mentally exhausted. I was financially exhausted. Um, and I, 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 I'm like, I'm going pens down on this. I can't do it anymore. And then I was, I was just pulled back into it. Um, because of this, you know, I, for me, it's always going to be tied to my dad. I can't separate the two. Um, and so that's what kind of drove me, you know, to get to this point, what will continue to drive me to, to, to preserve it for, for my kids. Um, and, you know, what happens between now and then is still, you know, TBD, but I'm, I'm hell bent on keeping it around for them. Awesome. Well, for our listeners, you can purchase tickets at www.creammag.com. Uh, JJ, is there anything else I forgot or that you would like to add? <laughs> I think we've covered it. I just want to say thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to me about the movie, and I hope folks dig it. It's, um, you know, we've got some time on our hands. It's, it's a good time to stay home and, <laughs> and uh, watch a good flick about uh, – about good old-fashioned rock and roll. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, JJ, for your time. Um, I hope you stay safe and healthy, you and your family. All right. Thanks, Erica. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.